Well, good morning, faith family. Happy Easter to you. Happy Resurrection Day. We are so glad that you're here. Let me give just a very special welcome uh, to our many guests who are with us today. We are, we are thrilled to have you with us and so grateful uh, that you have come to worship with us today. want to say hello to those that are gathering in Lakeville as well and our venue. And just excited that all of us have gathered to celebrate the greatest news in the world. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 19 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, just kind of a little of a heads up, a warning. I'm typically a very calm guy. Uh, I don't get very excited that often. I hardly ever raise my voice. Why are you laughing? But I'm just going to forewarn you this morning that uh, I don't know if you get to do what you love to do, but I get to do what I love to do. And today I get to proclaim what I think is the greatest news in all the world. I'm absolutely convinced this is true, and I'm absolutely convinced that it can mess your life up for the glory of God. And so just uh, be forewarned that I, I may get a little fired up, all right? Because uh, this is great news. This is great news. And uh, I'm glad that you're here uh, to, so that right now we can look to God's Word and discover uh, this wonderful, wonderful news uh, that we know as the resurrection. So uh, John chapter 19, I'm going to ask in all of our locations if you'd please stand, if you're able, as we want to honor the reading of God's Word. Let's look at John 19, uh, beginning at verse 28. Uh, these words come to us with the very authority of God. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Would you pray with me and for me now as we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, thank you for the joy of being together today. Thank you that uh, we're here because uh, you are real and Jesus is alive. And Father, we proclaim that today. Uh, we are thankful for that great truth because of what it means uh, for our own lives. So Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Open our eyes to see uh, not only the truth of this, uh, but how this truth can set us free. And we ask it all to the glory of Jesus, in whose name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. It was one of the greatest moments in American history. In fact, it was one of those moments that literally transformed our nation forever. Uh, up until 1869, there was a great divide in America a divide between east and west. If you were going to travel between the two, it was a very, very long travel, took a lot of time, and it was very, very dangerous. That all started to change. July 1st, 1862, with the war raging in the background, President Lincoln signs an order to build 2,000 miles of railroad. This mission over the next several years is going to face a lot of different obstacles. They're going to have to build this through rugged terrain. Uh, they'll have to dig literally through mountains, crossing over various rivers. And yet with much perseverance, finally, May 10th, 1869, the Union Railroad and the uh, Pacific Central Railroad finally come together in what we know as the first transcontinental railroad. 
Now, here's why this was so significant, as is seen in this historic picture. Why this was so significant is because finally, East and West are now united. They're now together. And as a way of celebrating this historic moment, what they did is they took one final railroad spike, actually made of gold, and they drove it into the ground. And after they drove that final spike into the ground with with all the nation waiting with anticipation, a, a message, a final telegraph was sent to the president and to all of the nation, and it was one simple word. The telegraph was simply dot, 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 done. Years of hard work and sacrifice, done. The mission given to them by the president, done. A vision that they had anticipated for quite some time, done. But most importantly, the divide between East and West, done. Well, let me ask you this morning, have you ever had that feeling, like that kind of relief feeling like, when something was finally done. Do you know that feeling? Like you were, you were laboring for something, you were anticipating something, and the day finally arrived. Uh, maybe it was nine months of pregnancy, and finally the day came when the baby was born. Or maybe for you it's four years of college, for some of you longer, and that day of graduation finally came. For some of you, it was years working with the same company, and finally the day of retirement finally arrived. <laughs> For all of us, it's enduring another Minnesota winter until finally spring arrives, <laughs> which is what spring looks like in Minnesota. Or maybe, maybe the, the longest 40 minutes of your life, and then finally the sermon ends. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> or, or for some of you, it's payment after payment, month after month, and finally, finally, that day comes where you can scream this. I'm dead free. <laughs> you see, all of us, all of us know, don't we? We know we've experienced that feeling, that relief. When something's finished, something's done. Everybody right here, Lakeville venue, listen up. What if I were to tell you that this very day, you could experience the greatest finished feeling that there is in all of life? Greater than any of the examples that I just gave you. What if today you could experience the guarantee, the reality that for you, it is finished? Because that's exactly what we see in the passage that we just read. It's exactly what we see in John chapter 19, only right here. It's not the coming together of east and west. It's the coming together of God and man. Oh, it's not the greatest moment or one of the greatest moments in American history. It's the greatest moment in all of history. For at this moment, a, a final spike, a, a final nail is driven. Not in a railroad, but in an old rugged cross. 
And a message goes out to all the world, and it's one simple word. Done. Look at verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, He said, now here's the one word, one word, it is finished. Now, here's what some of you are thinking, Pastor, your redneck math is showing. <laughs> now, I understand you being from Tennessee, you have to count with your toes, but it is finished is three words, not one. Why are you saying it's one word? Because it is one word. Our English translations translate this three words, it is finished, but it actually comes from one single Greek word. It's the Greek word tetelestai. Say, go ahead and say that with me, Lakeville Venue, everybody. Ready? Tetelestai. It's one simple Greek word. It comes from the word teleo. It means to accomplish, to finish, to bring to an end. Is actually a very, very common word used in, uh, in New Testament times. That the, A servant would use it when they finished a task. A soldier would use it when the war was finished. But listen, listen, listen. The most common use of that word, tetelestai, was when a merchant had finalized payment. It's finished. It's paid in full. It was a term often, in fact, it would often even be written on a receipt as a way of just saying it is paid. Now, here's the point. Why this is significant is that word tetelestai actually reveals a problem we all have. Listen, you have it. I have it. We all have it. And this is what it is. Listen, our sin, our disobedience to God, has incurred a debt to God, which has caused separation from God. Are you with me? Let me say it again. Our sin, your sin, my sin, has incurred a debt to God that has caused separation from God. And the reality is we can't pay it. Let me let Jesus prove this. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. He tells a story. Uh, beginning at verse 23, Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Watch this. And since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. What is Jesus saying right here? The kingdom of heaven, that is life in the reign of God, being in relationship with Christ, it's like settling accounts, but the problem is it's an account you can't pay. One talent was about 20 years worth of income. 10,000 talents would be about 200,000 years worth of income. What's the point? He can't pay it. It's a debt that's impossible, and all he can do is plead and ask for mercy. This is the spiritual situation that the Bible says we're all in. Regardless of what your mother says, regardless of what I say, regardless of what the world says, the Bible says this is the situation that we are in. But here's the, here's the, the problem is everybody thinks they'll be able to pay it, right? 
I mean, if you ask people, like, you know, why, why would you go to heaven or, 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 you know, when you die, why would you be with God? They'll say, what? I'm a good person. I do good things. I go to church some. I give some. In other words, they're mentally thinking, hey, because I paid off my TV, because I paid off my car, because I made all these other payments, well, then I ought to be able to do some good things and pay off my debt to God. Listen, listen, listen. Here's why that's impossible. Are you ready? That's impossible because the debt you owe is perfection. The payment that is required is you have to be perfect. Why? Because God is perfect. Listen to what Jesus says. I'm not making this up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says, you must be, say it, as your heavenly Father is. In other words, because God is perfect, the standard and therefore the payment is perfection. And my guess is you've got a lot of people in your life that would be happy to tell you that ain't you. <laughs> you may be good and all, and I'm sure you are, but you're not perfect. So, so, so you have to understand that we have all fallen short of that goal, of that standard, and that's why we can't pay it. I was thinking about this idea of falling short this week, preparing for the message. I, I had to go back a few years, but I, I couldn't uh, get this, this scene out of my mind. If you go back to Super Bowl 34, uh, the Tennessee Titans were playing the St. Louis Rams. I know it's amazing the Tennessee Titans were ever in the Super Bowl. But anyways, they're playing the Rams, and it's a fairly close game. It's back and forth. It comes down to, to kind of the last play. The Tennessee Titans are down by, uh, by one score. And they're driving the, the ball, they're driving down the field, and they get down to the red zone, and it's the very last play of the game, and watch what happens. Probably the final play of the game in regulation. It is caught by Dyson. Can he get in? No, he cannot. Mike Jones made the tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. No line. The game is over. The game is over. Now here's what you know. This is what everybody already knows. Listen, they didn't say, oh, but you got close. Here, here's a great idea. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have co-champions this year. Everybody's going to get a trophy. Everybody's going to get a ring. Because after all, you were close. No, no, no. They don't do that. Why? Listen, listen. Because the rules of the, of the game is it's all or nothing. You either score or you don't. You either win the game or you don't. Listen, when it comes to a relationship with God, it's not, well, you got close you know, you're on the one-yard line and you're on the 50 and some of you got real... No, no, no. It's either you're perfect or you're not because God is perfect. The only payment that is acceptable to pay your debt is perfection. And I know what some of you are thinking, which is scary. Um, then what do my good works matter at all? I mean, if, if, if being good doesn't account for anything, then why be good? And I anticipated that. So, so let me illustrate this. And this is really important. I need you to listen. Lakeville venue, everybody right here. I want you to think about your good deeds like currency. 
What I have here is Chinese money. Right? Is this valuable? Yes, if I'm in the right economy. If I go to China, this will buy me something. If I try to spend this here, it won't because I'm not in the right economy. This currency is only good in the right context. And you say, well, what's the point of that? This is big. This is big. Listen, our good deeds matter in the economy of the world. That is, you ought to be good to people. You ought to bless others. You ought to give. You ought to serve. Here's the problem. Our good deeds do not transfer into kingdom currency because the only payment that's accepted in the kingdom is perfection. Do you see? Your good deeds matter. They do really have value, but not in the economy of God. That is, they don't gain you a right standing before Him. Therefore, right here, you and I need another form of payment. The problem we all have is this debt before God. But now look back at verse 30. Y'all ready for some good news? Hey, Lakeville Venue, y'all ready for some good news? Watch this. Verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said to Telestai, it's finished, but then watch. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Ooh, what did Jesus just do? After Jesus says it is finished, watch this. He offers himself up to God. He gives up his spirit. This is more than just, oh, he died. It's that he's, he's offering himself. Listen to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6. Jesus gave himself as a, say it, as a ransom for all. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. He has no need like those high priests who offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all, when, watch this, when he offered up himself. This is what Jesus is doing on the cross. And it's why John wants you as the reader to fully understand that Jesus is dead. He's really, really dead. Look at John 19 and verse, 20, uh, verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw what? That he was already dead. They did not break his legs. If you go down to verse 40, they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Why are they doing that? Because he's dead. Verse 41, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had been laid. Verse 42 says, this is where they laid the body of Jesus. John is saying, you have to understand, if you check the pulse, there's not one. He's dead. He is dead. Now, why is that important? Zone right here. Zone in. Because the wages of sin is death, Jesus died a real death, and in that real death, offers himself up as payment for our sin. 
That's good news. That's wonderful news. Jesus is that perfect payment. God loves you so much, he knows you can't pay the debt. So do you know what he does? God comes in the flesh and the person of Jesus Christ lives a sinless, perfect life, dies on the cross, says, to tell us die, it's finished, and then he offers himself up for you. He offers himself up as the payment for our sins. Listen to what uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 says. Colossians 2. You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Anybody excited about that this morning? How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. I was reminded of a story Chuck Colson used to tell about American soldiers that were prisoners in World War II, uh, and at the end of every day, they'd have to come back and give an account for all their tools, all the, uh, the shovel and things that they were using throughout the day. Uh, this one group of 20 men uh, was brought back one evening, and the guard counts up, does inventory of all their shovels, and sees that one is missing. He only counts 19. He's, he's, he's angry. He's furious. He's, he, he begins to say, listen, if somebody doesn't admit what they've done, I'm going to start killing people one by one. A few moments of pause takes place, and then finally a 19-year-old young man, young soldier, steps forward. The guard takes that young man and he takes him off to the side and he kills him. And then the guard leaves. Those now 19 guards gather back up to, or 19 soldiers gather back together and they count the shovels again, but this time they count 20. You see, the guard had miscounted which meant that that young 19-year-old boy who had done nothing wrong stepped forward and took death for the sake of everybody else. The Bible says God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died. Though He had done nothing wrong, he takes the cross, dies the death, so that you and I might live. And that's not, I mean, that's, a, that's good enough news just in and of itself. But listen to what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Man, I wish I had more time here. Let me just say, he doesn't just forgive you your debt. He gives you his righteousness. And so he takes your negative balance that you can't pay, and not only does he bring it back to the black, he puts in your account the very righteousness of God, the very perfection of God. Somebody say, preach, preacher, so that you can stand before God perfect. The very perfection you don't have, the very payment you can't make, he makes for you, gives his righteousness to you so that you can offer up yourself in Him, and be accepted. And, and I, am, I am aiming for a couple of things today, and one of those things is celebration. I'm trying to get some of you Christian fired up. 
I'm trying to get you excited. This is the greatest day, and, and there is so much to celebrate. And, and you celebrate things all the time. You're, you're in the line at Starbucks, and somebody in front of you pays for your coffee, and you're excited. But, but you, don't, you don't follow them to their work and go into their workplace and hug them in front of everybody. That'd be weird. You're at a restaurant, and, and it's time to pay, and the waitress comes to you and says, uh, good news, somebody paid your tab. Somebody paid your bill. You're excited. You don't run over there and like kiss them all over their forehead. You're excited, but your gratitude is, is, is limited. But what if somebody paid off your mortgage? Well, I got an amen there. What if somebody wrote a check and, and your mortgage was just completely gone? I mean, you'd be dancing. You'd be excited. You'd be overjoyed. Like, it'd be the greatest day of your life. You'd be shedding tears. It would be an incredible, incredible moment. Why? Because our gratitude is directly related to the magnitude of our debt. Christian, realize today what you're free from. Your debt before God is finished. And we ought to really, I mean, seriously today, take time to celebrate. Okay, find a golden egg, but celebrate the point of today, which it's finished. But I'm not just after your celebration. Listen, some of you here, your guests, this is the first time you, you're here at Brian, and you're probably thinking, what did I get myself into? Uh, full, full cards on the table uh, expose my, my intent here. I'm after your conversion. I totally am. I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to try to hide anything from you. I want Jesus for you. I absolutely do. In fact, I wouldn't love you if I didn't want Jesus for you. And so, yes, I'm up here spitting and screaming and hollering the best news in the world because I want you to know that. And what I want you to say today, what I want you to pray today is this simple thing. Here's all I want you to say, and I want you to, to mean it is to simply say, Jesus, I realize I can't. I believe you did, and I surrender right now. That's, what I, that's it. Jesus, I know I can't. I believe you did, and I surrender right now. And the Bible says if you do that, you will be saved. You will experience freedom like you've never experienced before. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, I understand the problem, and that's the debt that my sin has caused, and, and perfection's the payment. And I understand that the payment that Jesus offers, it is finished, and he offers up himself. But, uh, Pastor, you got any proof? Like, can I get a, can I get a receipt for this? One has certainly been given. Look at chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I think that other disciple is John, who is just bragging that he's faster than Peter. Anyways... <laughs> And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went in the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. Mentions that again. By the way, I won. He goes in and saw and believed. And then verse 9, this is big. For as yet, that is up until this point, they did not understand the Scripture 
that he must rise from the dead. What John is trying to say to the reader, what the point of the text is trying to to say to you is this, Jesus really, really died. And Jesus really, really, really is alive. Both are absolutely true. Because you understand that John 19 doesn't matter without John 20. What Jesus does on the cross is meaningless without the resurrection. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 17 says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Amen. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, that is the assurance, of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, and by a man has come the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. And and listen, we're here, I'm telling you, that there are all kinds of reasons to believe the resurrection. This isn't like, well, I sure kind of hope it's true. There's all kinds of proof. Jesus' prediction of his own resurrection, the tomb was empty on that first Easter. The transformation of the disciples, they did not believe, and all of a sudden they believed to the point they'd give their life. Jesus appeared to over 500 people. There were all kinds of eyewitness testimonies. The church explodes after this and is still going strong today. The appearance of the resurrected Christ throughout the New Testament and details that would not have been included if you were trying to make this up. My point is, Christian Christianity is not based on emotional experiences or philosophical ideas. It is based on a real, historic act of resurrection. Now, the reason why that's important is because if you ask me, how do you know it's finished? What's the proof? Here's what I would say. We know that it is finished because he is risen. We know that it is finished because he is risen. He is risen validates it is finished. Are you with me? Or let me say it this way. The empty grave is the guarantee the debt is paid. The empty grave is the guarantee that the debt is paid. It is finished because he is risen. Some of you here today, I, have, I, don't, I can't even imagine some of the burdens and the weights that you are carrying uh, with you today. I mean, you feel like this, like there is a, a rock, a weight that is on your shoulders. Think with me for just a moment. Some of you, it's the burden of parenting Amen? Anybody feel the weight of parenting and the burden? Not that it's a burden, but just the weight of trying to parent? Um, Or some of you, it's the weight of others' expectations. Some of you are pressed under the burden of finances. Some of you are under the weight of grief. Here's here's what I want to say to you. Lakeville Venue, everybody right here, here's what I want to say. The greatest weight that you can possibly carry is the weight of your sin. 
And the good news of Easter is that because the stone was rolled away, the weight on you can be rolled away as well. I I want you to see that rolled away stone, not just literally and historically, but spiritually and emotionally, that your weight can be rolled away today because it's finished. It's finished. As the great old hymn says, drops of grief cannot repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and if you know it, you can just say it with me. And the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Oh, this morning, that the burden of your heart would roll away. The problem is our sin and debt. The payment is Jesus offers himself up as the perfect payment for our sins. The proof that it's finished is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to close this morning by just simply showing you the difference that Jesus will make. When you know it's finished, when you receive it, when you, I told you earlier on, it's going to mess you up. It's going to change you forever. If you really believe this, if you really receive this today, it will change your life as you know it. And you say, how do you, how do you know that? Because in this passage, John mentions names that experience a resurrection. That is, they experience a radical life transformation right here once they realized it was finished. Once they realized he is risen, it is finished, like everything changed. And it was, it was amazing change. Uh, the first is, because it is finished, listen, today you can be finished with secrecy. You say, where are you getting that from? In chapter 19, verse 38, John mentions a man by the name of Joseph. Now follow me. It is said of Joseph that he was a disciple in secret. But guess what he does? He goes to Pilate publicly and asks for the body. In other words, this man that was trying to stay in secret is now coming out in public and identifying himself with Jesus. The point? Because it is finished, some of you today need to be finished with a private faith. Man, I love you, but I'm going to speak truth to you. The resurrection doesn't give you any room for a half-hearted Christianity, a one foot in, one foot out. If you believe he's alive, if you receive that he's risen, then you must not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God. Today, some of you need to confess Christ publicly. Some of you need to follow in baptism. Some of you need to commit to a church. You need to be like Joseph and experience a resurrection from secrecy to public identity with Jesus Christ. Number two, because it is finished and he is risen, we can be finished with religion. Oh, you say, here he goes. Preach, preacher. In chapter 19, verse 39, John mentions a man by the name of Nicodemus. What do you know about Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. What does that mean? He's religious. He's followed the rules all his life. He's moral. He's a good person. Oh, I love this. Right here, Lakeville venue, everybody. He leaves Judaism for Jesus. 
I love it. He leaves religion for a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it doesn't matter if you were born in church, raised in church, eat at church, sleep in church, work at church, or one day die in church, all the religion in the world will not save you. Religion's dead. Jesus is alive. And so today, be finished with religion. Number three, because it is finished, some of you are here today just to hear this. Because it is finished, today you can be finished with insignificance. You say, where are you getting that from, Pastor? Well, in chapter 20, verse 1, John mentions a woman by the name Mary. Women, just historically speaking, had no significance in the ancient Near East. There was no status, and yet, oh, this is beautiful, Mary plays a significant role in God's story. Meaning, God takes things that the world calls insignificant and uses them for significant things. Christian, because it is finished, stop acting like you don't matter. Stop acting like you've been defeated. Stop acting like you don't measure up. Stop acting like you can't be used of God. I don't care if you are skinny, Old, young, red, yellow, black, or white, you are precious in his sight, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Man, come on, give me another hour. I can keep going. Listen, 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 listen. Man, man, man. Jesus, Jesus, I warned you of this. Jesus is alive. He has given you a new identity. You're his child. You say, but the world says I'm a... Who gives a rip what the world says? When's the last time they knew anything? <laughs> the Bible says there's no condemnation in you. So listen, because it's finished on the cross and he's given you his very righteousness, a whole new identity, be finished with insignificance. Stop letting the world or the mirror define you and you let Jesus define you. Have a resurrection today from how you think about you to how God thinks about you. Number four, because it is finished, because he's risen, we can be finished with our past failures. Where are you getting this from? In chapter 20, verse 3, John mentions Peter. You know Peter's story. He denied. In fact, he just denied Jesus three times. And yet Peter's about to experience a resurrection, isn't he? In fact, read the rest of the New Testament. He's everywhere, used of God to do mighty things. The point, because it's finished today, you can be finished with your past. Hey, look right here, Lakeville venue, everybody. I don't care what you've done, and I don't care where you did it, and I don't care how many times you've done it. When God says it's finished, it's finished. You may have a hard time accepting that it's finished, but he already has in Jesus. And so today, you can be resurrected from your past, to a glorious, glorious future. Number five, because it is finished today, we can be finished with fear. Where are you getting this from? By the way, I'm glad you keep asking that. Because um, you ought to be asking, where is it in the text? Um, the disciples are mentioned in chapter 20, verse 19, and what's specifically mentioned of them is that they are huddled in a room afraid. They're scared. 
But what's about to happen is they're about to be, listen, listen, they're about to be resurrected to the point that they will, those men will literally give their life for following Jesus. They go from being afraid in a room to willing to die for the mission. What's the point? I, I need all of our Berean faith family to, to come here for just a minute. Don't you dare sit here and celebrate that he's alive and we act like a church, like he's dead. Because it is finished, we must embrace the mission that he has given us, the unfinished work of declaring his finished work. There is no room for a church that believes in the resurrection to be complacent. We may sit here and say, but what are they going to do to us? Well, who cares? Jesus is an expert in resurrection. So if they kill us, he'll bring us back to life. If the gates of hell did not prevail that day, and they will not prevail today, then what in hell are we afraid of? He is alive. So rise up and embrace the mission he's given us to do. It is finished. So be finished with whatever has you paralyzed by fear. The point, it's simple. When you realize the problem that's been addressed by Jesus and the proof of the resurrection, your life as you know it is finished forever. For you, like Mary, Joseph, uh, Peter, the disciples, you will be risen to walk in the newness of life. Isn't this the greatest moment in all of history? The greatest moment, a moment that can literally transform your life. Because up until this moment, uh, the distance between God and man was irreconcilable. But on that day, on that historic day, here's what they did. They took one final spike, one final nail, and they drove it in the cross. And three days later, the tomb stone rolled away. And because of that, a message was declared to all the world, and it has been declared to you this day. One word to tell us, die. Done. And there is no greater feeling in all of life than knowing. That for you, it really is finished. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this truth to us this morning. Thank you for your word. It is the greatest news in the world. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me ask this morning, is it finished for you? Have you come to the point in your life where you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Where you have said what I said a few moments ago, Jesus, I know I can't. I believe you did. And I surrender right now. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Today, do you need it to be finished for you? Jesus has already done it. He's given you the proof. Will you believe it? Will you receive it? Father, you know every heart, you know every person, you know every situation in this place. 
And I trust that you will take the, the good news of the gospel that we have heard today, we've seen in your word, and that you will then apply it to our hearts, whether that is trusting Christ publicly, whether that is following in baptism, whatever that is, that we would make that step today, that step of life transformation, of being risen to walk in the newness of the life you've given us. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.